you watch a show like Westworld, it's very intellectually rewarding. Yeah. It rewards you paying attention intellectually. The OA rewards you emotionally. It doesn't reward you with great big answers and this or that. It rewards you by a certain sensation, Mm. certain feeling, which is that bit when they do the dance. You just have this incredible swell of emotion. And what's so satisfying and why we're talking about why you like it is that feeling of they rewarded us emotionally with a really wonderful show. And I can't think of the last time a science fiction show in particular even tried. I, to reward you emotionally. I was going to say something a little similar. Um, I just you talking again, mm. rounding up that that climax. A climax to a show or film hasn't done that to me before. I think possibly ever. Hello and welcome to the Story Toolkit. I'm Basim El-Wakil, co-author of Action, The Art of Excitement with Robert McKee, and joining me is Luke Lionel, writer and part of the McKee Storylogue team. So today, we're going to talk about the OA. Yes. Um, and before we go any further, if you want to get in touch, uh, the storytoolkit.wordpress.com has all the episodes, and you can email us um, through there. And we're on Twitter, at the Story Toolkit. Yes. Quickly, thank you for listening. Yeah. And also, a very specific thank you to somebody I can't remember. Somebody, whoever it was on Twitter, that said, the OA is very good, and I listened to that person. Thank you. <laughs> I, I, I've been, I was told to watch the OA by Luke, by Kara, by um, uh, George, and who else? Emma. At least, those are four people in person who told me to watch it. Oh, yeah. I can't even remember if on Twitter people told me to watch it. Uh, so, I well, finally watched it. wasn't it. even on my radar. saw the tweet, thought, okay. And whoever it was, I clearly I, I listened to them for a reason. I, I saw it go up on Netflix, and I immediately was, oh, I'm not going to watch this rubbish. Right. I didn't see the trailer or Why anything. Why did you think it was rubbish? Just from the logo, the OA, and I'm oh, like... Really? OA, I don't even know what that means. It's a mystery show. Nothing pays off. I'm not watching a sci-fi mystery show ever again. I've been burned. <laughs> I've been burned so many times by them. But you know what? They, it seems like whatever plague hit the lazy, like the lazy plague that hit writers in television when doing sci-fi mystery shows at the turn of the century has finally died out. It's been cute. And we've had Stranger Things, we've had the OA, and we have Westworld, where people are doing sci-fi mystery shows that are really good and pay things off and are just wonderful. And the OA is wonderful, and I'm glad you saw it, and I'm glad other people saw it, and, every, and you all told me to go see it, because you were right, and I'm very happy about it. <laughs> I'm really happy that I like this And show. the significance of Bass saying that other people are right... Like, <laughs> so mean. <laughs> But it's, I just, uh, I'm just so glad. Because I, I, I really was never going to watch that show. I remember, Kara, I think, was the first person to tell me about it. and I, my, I was the first, really, though, wasn't I? No. Yeah, but we both know I was. Okay, fine, it was you. But I remember when she was telling me about it, and my response was, I was actively going, I don't want to get stuck in this show. Because <laughs> this looks and sounds terrible. And then when you told me you liked it, and it's just like, I've had too many people tell me they like it for me not to give this a go. And the way you talked about it specifically was very interesting. Mm. I thought, let's give it a go. And I'm so glad that I did because it was really wonderful. Yeah. Really absolutely. wonderful. And I, I, I had no idea what it was about. No, neither did I. 
because the logo and the name give nothing away. Gives nothing away. I think that's why I'd skip past it so many times. Anyway, yeah. we're gushing about it. Let's get yeah, into it's it. Yeah, it's one. So the OA is it's on Netflix. It's a Netflix original. It's only eight episodes, but two of those episodes are very short length, which we're mm-hmm. going to talk about in a bit. Um, but the premise of the show is a woman um, jumps off a bridge to kill herself, and she doesn't die. She's very lucky. She doesn't die. She breaks her... She really messes up her feet. I think she breaks her feet or something. But she doesn't die. Okay? From hitting the water. Because she hits the water feet first. Yeah. She'd hit it differently. She could have died. It'd be like slamming into concrete. But because she hit feet first... Anyway. She doesn't die. So they put her in the hospital. And they're looking after her. They have no identification. They have no idea who she is or anything like that. And... Um, but it's on television. She's on television. And two people go, <gasps> and it turns out they're her parents. And they go to the hospital, and they, they're calling her Prairie, because that's her name. But the doctor's saying, like, she's not responding to that name, Prairie. That's not what she's saying. And it's like, we know our daughter. They go in, they open the door, and she looks at them. And she's she doesn't recognize them. And they sit down, and then she finally realizes who they are. And they go... I don't understand. And they, she go, they go, you don't understand. She was blind. Right? So the whole thing is she's somehow shown up. She's been missing for seven years. And she's shown up and she's blind. She was blind, rather. And now she can see again. Right? That's the premise of the show. Okay? Now, now we're going to get into spoilers. Okay? Yeah. So here now are come the spoilers. <laughs> so basically what happens is she... Uh, gets a group of people together and starts telling them the story, just a group of five, group of five random people, and starts telling them the story at night in an abandoned house in her road about what happened over the course of the seven years. And the five people, four of them are students at a school and one of them's the teacher at the school, who she kind of just ha- by happenstance meets up. And she's telling the story of how she was a little girl in Russia. She was a Russian oligarch's daughter, right? And she... Uh, she has these premonition dreams of being trapped in an aquarium and all this stuff and she gets on a bus school bus the bus goes off a bridge into the river that was the dream of her being trapped in an aquarium right glass is the bus everyone drowns and dies including her which when she dies she goes somewhere else we don't know where into the into another realm where a woman who speaks Arabic called Khatan or something like this uh, says, I can send you back if you want, but it'll be very tough. And she's like, well, okay, I want to go back. I want to go back to my dad. She goes, fine, but I have to take your sight because I don't want you to see all the horrible things that are going to happen. And she's like, okay. So she returns to, to life, but blind. And the father has to send her away because he's in trouble now because she's the only oligarch's daughter that survives. He's in trouble. So she goes, she gets sent away. He then disappears we're not sure if he got killed. We don't know what happened to him. She, she then uh, gets uh, sent to America where his sister or something is looking after her. And her, his sister's a drug dealer and prostitute and it's not great. But she has these kids because they're prostitutes. They keep having children and they put the children up. They sell the children for adoption. And the two people who we thought were her parents come in and adopt her. Right? So they adopt the blind little prairie girl and they look after her and they love her and they care about her. They're not horrible people. They're, they're absolutely lovely people. Like there's no secret 
abuse thing here, right? They actually love her and they care for her. And she grows up and grows up and she starts having dreams again. And she's convinced that she will meet her dad. So she goes to meet her dad by going to a place where they thought she, she would meet up with him. But instead, she gets kidnapped by a man who's a scientist who's convinced that she had a near-death experience. And therefore, the near-death experience, he wants to recreate them. So he sticks her in a glass cage underneath his mansion in a mine. And there's four other people, no, three other people in there at the time. And he's doing experiments on all of them. And then a fifth person gets brought in there. And they have these near-death experiences. And when they die, they come back. And she dies, comes back, but with her sight this time. And as they come back, they learn dance moves. I'm not making this up. It sounds insane. They make dance moves. And the dance moves can bring people back to life and cure people of ALS and all this kind of stuff. And they get they do their dance moves and they learn there's five movements, one for each of them, and they have to combine them together. And so this evil scientist is like, wait a minute. I have to know what the fifth move is and he's trying to work it out and they won't tell him and then when he finally gets the fifth movement he kicks her out so we're wondering how did she escape after seven years she didn't escape he kicked her out he wouldn't let her stay in so he could take control of the five dance movements and so that's where it starts with that's how she gets to the point where she walks off the bridge to kill herself because she thinks if she kills herself she can go have a near-death experience and teleport into wherever Homer who's one of the people that she fell in love with that's one of the test subjects so she can get back to the test subject by killing herself it's not working so she's trying to get the five people together another five people to teach them the dance moves they can do the dance moves they can she can teleport back to the thing like this is seriously the plot right and then they she tells them the story they're all buying it then one of the people goes through her stuff and discovers that (laughs) that her stuff discovers that she's made the whole thing up None of it is true. And then and then she's having bad dreams again. And she's wondering what's the dream and all this stuff. And all the kids are going to school. The teacher's been fired because of what she's been up to with the crazy woman and everything. And they're at school. And that's when a school shooter, a kid, comes in to shoot up the school. You know, he's in a flak jacket with an assault rifle. And they're all there. And the OA, she's running after the, after them to get to the school because she's worked out what her dream is. And she's going to go to save them. We're like, what's going to happen next? What's going to happen next? They're all in the cafeteria, all five of them. The OA's running to the school. They're in the cafeteria. They're all on the floor. The guy's got the gun. He's going to kill everyone. What do they do? They all look at each other, the five people. They stand up and they do the dance and the dance completely distracts the guy so that someone else tackles him to the floor and takes a gun but as he does he gets a shot off and it seems no one's injured but then it turns out the OA who's standing outside the cafeteria has been shot right in the chest by accident and as she's dying she's like don't worry I'm going to teleport basically (laughs) and then then she dies and then it cuts to her waking up someplace else going Homer and then that's the end of the show and we don't know what happens next now I know it sounds batshit crazy Okay, there's no way out of this. But what I can't help but express to you is it's so good. It's so good. And it makes perfect sense, even though it's totally insane. The the hairs on the back of my neck stood up again when you were explaining the Because it makes sense. It's, it's so good. Right? But, there is, but I, it does... So if you haven't seen The OA, and I've, I've to, basically I've told you the whole show, right? Yeah. If you haven't seen The OA, it's... You could still watch it, and I hope you'd still enjoy it. But 
It's really great. It's really great. And we'll, we'll get into that. Yeah. We'll get into the whys. Um, uh, I, I, I've, I've been jokingly saying it is the best X-Files episode I've ever seen. <laughs> and when I say that, I'm, I'm not joking. After I finished watching the way, I went, how would this work as an X-Files episode? And I realized it would work so well, which is basically Mulder totally believes the OA story. Right. Okay. And he's one of the, he's he's paying attention in the circle. And Mulder is learning the dance moves. Okay. <laughs> Scully buys none of it. Okay. <laughs> so at the end of the show, when the OA is running, Scully, right? Sc- Scully and Mulder are in the cafeteria or whatever. The OA is running. I've thought this out. I really thought this out, right? Mulder is in the cafeteria. He's lost his gun because the guy with the gun has come in. The guy's like, I'll shoot the people. So Mulder puts down the gun, right? So he's put the gun away. The OA realizes what her dream is. She's running. Scully is chasing after the OA. She's losing track of the OA. She's trying to work out where the OA is going and all that stuff. So Scully's chasing after the OA. The OA's running to the school. Mulder's in the cafeteria, okay? That's when Mulder looks to He doesn't have his gun, remember? He looks at the kids who's part of the circle. They get up and Mulder does the dance with them, right? <laughs> and David Duchovny doing that dance is an amazing end to an X-Files episode. At which point, as the OA is running down, Scully has lost track of the OA, but she sees the shooter. She comes in, takes down the shooter. So Scully takes down the shooter, right? And she's like, Mulder, what are you doing? Right? And whatever, say, it worked, Scully. It was like, no, it only works that, no, Scully, it worked. Then he sees the OA's been shot. And as she's put in the ambulance, he runs after the OA, Wanting to know what happens on the other side of death. That's the end of the show. Tell me that's not the best X-Files episode. Didn't you say you went back to look at the episode and was surprised... After you'd come up with all that and were surprised to discover that Mulder and Scully weren't in the finale? Yes. <laughs> and I promise you, it's not an exaggeration. I really went back and watched one. This would be better with Mulder doing the dance. <laughs> <laughs> It's just, it's an Okay, OA. well, you, your crazy X-Files, X-Files machinations aside, yes. let's get into the nuts and bolts of it. So you wanted okay. to talk about genre. Did I? Yeah, temporal genre. Oh, yes, that's right. So one of the things that you told me that was very interesting before I'd seen it was how the OA episodes are an hour long, except for two of them. <laughs> because episode uh, five, I think, is 30 minutes. All I re- all and episode I rem- six is forty. All I remember is that we were sitting down, we were we were binging, and we did it in a couple of days. Yeah, I seem to remember, like maybe three days. Yeah, and on the second night we watched um, uh, episode three and four, uh, and it was way past our bedtime already. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> um, it's properly on a school night, um, <laughs> and we thought. Let's just do one more. We it's fine. Well, like we're an past hour, our an bedtime already. <laughs> an hour's time, it's fine. Um, and the episode ended after half an hour. Yes. Uh, and it just it stuck with me. But um, here we go. Yeah. There you so go, I picked them up. So the first episode is an hour and eleven minutes. The second episode is fifty-eight. The third is an hour a minute, hour long. Fourth episode is an hour and four minutes. Fifth is an hour and one minute. The sixth episode is 31 minutes. That's right. The seventh is 41 minutes. And then the last one is 50 minutes. So you can see that there is a thing where the show has set up that it's a certain number of... It's a certain length, an hour. And then suddenly, as you're saying, you know, you're watching yeah. it before bedtime. And you realize you've watched an entire episode, but it's only been 30 minutes. Because yeah. one of them's 30 minutes long. Yeah. And I thought that was really interesting. And you phrased it as a certain way. You said it's like the show is breathing. Yeah. 
And I thought, that sounds really interesting. I don't remember saying it, but I'll claim it. No, that is what you said. You said, (laughs) it's like the show is breathing. So when I went to watch the show, I was really interested to see how it felt. Because it was like, oh yeah, you're right, the episode lengths are different, right? Mm. So what's it feel like? And you're like, this show is breathing. And I'm like, that's a really nice way of phrasing it. And, um, And it works. And one of the reasons that it works is because... So temporal genres are genres of time. Right, so they're not about time. That's ha- basically, you know, the genre is telling the audience what to expect. Right, the audience has certain expectations. So, a temporal genre, uh, you know, a genre of content, a principal genre, is saying what to expect in terms of what the story is about. So, yeah. a crime story, it's going to be about justice. Uh, it's a, it's a domestic drama. It's going to be about family. Okay, mm. this uh, temporal genre is saying here's what to expect in terms of time. How long is this going to last? You know, mm. you whenever you go to watch something, you go, "How long is it?" Right. As soon as someone answers that question, you immediately in your head have a bunch of expectations of what the show is going to be like. Show or film or, or film. whatever it is. It's yeah. a three-hour film. It's a it's a two-hour film. It's a thirty-minute show. It's a it's a five five-season show. It's a one-season miniseries. It's a, mini a five-minute sketch. Bam. Right. Yeah. All these things. So immediately that change, it doesn't tell you anything about the content, tone, doesn't tell you anything about the world, nothing like that. It just tells you, okay, it's going to take this much time. Therefore, there's this much story. Mm. Okay? So when a story is short form, like 30 minutes or less, for example, people don't expect many major reversals. Sometimes zero, sometimes one, two at the most. Okay? The longer, the more major reversals you expect. Okay? When you hit full length, which is a good 90-minute story, people are expecting at least three major reversals, if not more. The longer it is, the more major reversals you expect. When you hit long form, though, major reversals go out the window. Because as we pointed out when we did the Breaking Bad breakdown... In the lecture. Yeah. We broke down Breaking Bad. It's on McKee's TV day. He talks about it. Breaking Bad has over 250 acts. Hmm. 250 major reversals. That number... It gets to a point where it just doesn't matter anymore, right? What the audience actually wants now when they do that is installments. When you say it's a long-form story, what you're saying to, the, so to your audience is this takes more than one sitting to get through. Mm. And binge-watching is irrelevant, okay? Because people, what you're doing when, when you do long-form is you say, here's one installment, here's the next installment, Here's the next installment, and so on. You give the audience a curtain call, basically. You say, I'm stopping now. Hmm. You, as an audience, can do what you want. You can watch the next one right away if you want to. You can watch them backwards if you want to. Like, what's that got to do with the genre? Do you know what I mean? It's got nothing to do with it, how you devour it. The point is, it's telling you you can stop now, okay? And that's very, very important, okay? Because that's how the audience understands, okay, now I'm allowed to stop. So... In the OA, by having these different lengths and saying, now we're going to stop. What's beautiful is the show is told as the OA is telling the story to the five people, five school people in the house. Yeah. So when she stops telling the story, the episode stops. Yeah. So if the character's like, I've got to go, I'm tired, the episode stops right there, right? Yeah. So what they do, the 30, now you notice they're all about an hour long, but suddenly episode six is 30 minutes long. Uh, so why is episode 6 30 minutes long because episode 6 ends on a cliffhanger and they don't resolve the cliffhanger in the next episode they take a step back and they do something else if this was a full length story 
<laughs> right? And towards the end of the show, you, uh, the, towards the end, say, like, it was a two-hour film, and about an hour and ten minutes in, you stop at a cliffhanger and then start doing something else. People will throw their popcorn at the screen, <laughs> okay? But because you're saying the installment is over, and when you start again, we're going somewhere else, the audience understands you've started again. Okay, fine, we're taking a break, we're going somewhere else. It allows the audience to realise you're taking a break for a second and we're going someplace else. They understand that's the concept. So it's not annoying. You mm. see what I mean? That This is what the whole point of setting up expectations is. It's not so that you stick to a formula. It's so that the audience knows what you're doing and why you're doing it and how you're doing it so they don't get annoyed with you when you do things. So you're managing the audience's expectation. That's the whole point of genre. So you can satisfy them. So... The OA does these different length installments, one, because it can, because it's not airing on television, it doesn't care about ads, it doesn't care about scheduling, it doesn't care about essentially temporal real estate, which is what normally is the case, right? Yeah. You have to care about what's competing on other channels, you have to care at that time slot, you have to care about how much the advertising costs in that time slot, you have to, you know, time slots, there's actually a real estate that used to be in television that no longer exists. And so the OA is we can have a 30-minute episode and that doesn't mess anything up. It doesn't matter if it's 30 minutes. I do remember now, this is why I came up with the analogy of breathing. That's yeah. why it feels like the show is breathing because yeah. when, you, when you consider how... When, now, now I've seen this done with this TV show. Mm. When you go back to um, the archaic system, the real estate system, basically, mm. and you have to fit everything into that hour with breaks at a certain time, you realise how restrictive that can be. Yeah. And how that can produce formulaic writing or cheats before an ad break to get... Yep. I remember talking to you about um, Angel yeah. once and how they'd, um, just before an ad break, a, a villain or a bad a, a baddie would turn up yeah. and after the ad break, it'd be defeated. Like, yeah. skip the fight. No, Angel's okay. Let's move on with the plot. Yeah. It's like, that is such a cheat. And you would never get that in this. No, you wouldn't. There's loads of little things they had to do like that because of the constraints of it. Yes. And the best of that was able to turn it into a good story. Because there's nothing wrong with that. No. Hey, every 10 minutes I want a turn. Go for it. Hmm. It's just, you actually have to have a turn every 10 minutes. You can't cheat. Yeah. For example, Raiders of the Lost Ark really works. Like, if Raiders of the Lost Ark you could turn into a really good TV show. Oh, I see. Because of right. the pace of it. Every, like, 10 minutes there's a major reversal. So it's actually really well... It's, it could work for that. You could. Oh, right. I bet you if you wanted to serialize... Indiana Jones is like 10 minute chunks on television it would work <laughs> and it would be wouldn't be that bad because you could it, it could fit that form yeah okay and it's but obviously you wouldn't change anything because it just works right yeah but other shows yeah they had to do things like false jeopardy they had to do things and after and it gets annoying and um, and the times where it worked what were when it was just it was a really great show and this worked and these were genuine turns with genuine setups and genuine payoffs and everything but now, you don't have to do that. See, people had to do that. So the people who could make it work were the ones who had the craft and the talent and the, and the sincerity. The ones that couldn't make it work, right, they feel cheap and hacky and everything. Now that people don't have to do that anymore, all of a sudden, the writers who couldn't write that form, who had to write novels and movies, mm. can now write television. Hmm. so now television can be written by anyone who has enough cachet to get it funded and everything but any kind of television is doable now do you think do you, you know do you think the OA works so well because of that 
understanding of the audience and and how they would be I th- feeling. I think so. As we're going to talk about in a bit, they are so emotionally sensitive that I think they picked up. I remember years ago, they took a comic book that I really liked called Global Frequency. It's only 12 issues. And Global Frequency was like, the whole premise of it was there's a spy agency that's kind of the lot, it is constantly stopping um, end of the world threats, right? Like the Mission Impossible Ghost Protocol, right? Sure. So so every episode was Mission Impossible Ghost Protocol, right? No time at the absolute wire like they had literally never any time that they, they you know it's, it's 20 page comic book mm. and they had like when it started it's like yeah you have five minutes to solve this crisis <laughs> and the way it worked was there was two people elif and miranda zero and miranda zero was in charge and elif was the communicator right and what she what would happen is miranda zero had a thousand and one agents on the global frequency they had a special phone it's really cool and she would basically someone would be walking around normal person and they have that phone, and the phone would ring, and they'd pick it up. It's like, this is agent whatever. It's like, hey, here's the situation. You have five minutes, or the world dies. <laughs> and they go, got it. It's like, why have you picked me? It's like, you're the closest person, and you have this skill. Do this. <sighs> Every issue. So one issue, for example, is like, yes, what's going on? It's like, hey, you're, you're in London. There's a bomber who's about to detonate a viral bomb in the Millennium Eye. Okay. You have five minutes to get to the lane. I said, that's not possible. Like, yes, it is. You're a parkour runner. Off you go. Uh. And she's like, got it. And right there, say, so when you get there, we've got a bomb expert on the other on another phone. He'll tell you how to dismantle the bomb, but you need to get to the bomb in five minutes. Like that kind of thing, right? Yeah. Every issue was like that. And she's like, this is so cool. So they made a TV show of it. They made a pilot. It didn't get picked up. Guess how long the pilot episode is? Is it an hour? Yes. And you immediately can see the problem, right? <laughs> so I saw the pilot and I went, this needs to be a 30 minute, you know, 20, you know, it takes t- so 20 yeah. minutes, essentially yeah. a 20 minute action drama. Yeah. And I went, no one will do it because no one will think it can sell. I reckon now you could do global frequency. Distributed through Netflix. D- yeah. And Amazon. Everyone would watch the hell out of it. Sure. Right, it's totally doable now. But back then it was, you couldn't because you had to have the 45 minute thing. Plus, Guess what you couldn't do? You couldn't have a different cast every week. Oh, so yeah. So it had to point. be... They, they they Straight away in the first episode, they had the they had Miranda Zero, Elif, and then two other characters that were the agents that were going to be in every show, the man and the woman agent. Hmm. Both white, of course. And, right, and it's just like, no, that's not what Global Frequency is. Global Frequency is like the diversity cast, you know? <laughs> Every episode, it's someone in a completely different section of the world, and they all look different, and they're not related to each other, and it's just, stop the bomb! And it's just cool. Um, and, yeah, it's a real, it's really unfortunate, but now you could do it. So, anyway, that my point do being... Do you think... Well, yeah, no, I und- un- understand your point. It's um, do, you, do you think it... Um, do you think the problem was just down to the distribution method or do you think the problem was a lack of understanding from both so the people who commissioned it didn't get why Global Frequency was cool right because I mean they got Warren Ellis who wrote the comic to write the um, screenplay so the screenplay isn't bad it's not like it doesn't it's just that they clearly the studio doesn't understand what made Global Frequency Global Frequency yeah and two there's no way they even if they did they could have done it it would have been a huge risk It'd be a crazy risk to do. It would, it, you know, it's like, oh, we're gonna have a twenty-minute action drama. You know what else would have done really well with that format? Twenty-four. 
Oh, I see. Yeah. Right? Yeah. So that essentially one episode of Global Frequency is supposed to be a season of 24. Okay. That's what Global Frequency was. Okay? So, but now when you look at how, particularly with the OA, where they've pushed the boundary there, you look at other shows and how they're just, you realize that the whole concept that a TV show no longer has a temporal real estate anymore. That there's no time slots to worry about. It doesn't matter how long the episodes are anymore and all this stuff. You suddenly realize how malleable television has become and now almost anything is available. It's important, I think, to realize the the positive notes attached to that and not actually yeah. to... Um, to abuse it because as soon as you said like uh, you, you know the the, uh, the form is malleable and you've got all these options I have nightmares of uh, people saying okay well instead of uh, doing 10 episodes why don't we do 56 and they can all be 8 hours long each and etc you could you would stop making choices to pare everything down but one of the beautiful things about OA and I mentioned this in the Stranger Things yeah. episode as well is there 8 episodes each well there, there is a restriction which is the budget. Sure. Yeah, right? And the true. time it takes to actually make something. True. So there is a restriction. It's not like you can do anything, but the restrictions now are once you produce the material, so say 10 hours mm. for a season, how you distribute those 10 hours and the way you block them out, you can actually have an entire episode stop at a cliffhanger rather than having to force a cliffhanger halfway through an episode. Yeah. Right. And, it, and the thing is, the form, people have been doing this for a while. Sherlock is three ninety-minute episodes a season. That's it. Yeah. Right. So instead of having, you know, uh, what would that be? Uh, ninety minutes plus ninety minutes, ninety minutes. That's what three out four and a half hours mm. is a season. So instead of having say four episodes or five episodes a season, you know, which is typically what a, a British show is, right? Six episodes a season. Six. Yeah. They went, no, we're not going to have six episodes. We're going to have three, but we're going to make them twice as long. Right? Yeah. They, that's what they did, and they pulled it off. You know, when they did Sherlock, the name in Sherlock was um, Martin Freeman. No one had heard of Cumberbatch. And Martin Freeman was the guy from The Office. Yeah. And then they did the first season of Sherlock, and it blew up. And that's... So that's one way you can do the show. So... This idea that, you know, you have... So, basically, unless the show's stuck syndicated on television, these Netflix and Amazon Prime shows, now, they have this capacity. They can really bend the the form to fit the story. Let's get into um, the other reason the OA works so well. Yeah. So I think it's a, a, a good time to, to move on. Mm. Um, and you wanted to talk about emotional sensitivity yeah so as we were saying you know how the show breeds in space uh, in time right hmm. part of that is because of the emotional sensitivity of the audience they realize that the, the, the writers yeah the writers get that the audience needs a break at this moment so they give you a break hmm. they realize you don't want a break at this moment they don't give you a break they realize if we do the break here it'll maximize their anticipation so let's do the break here Right, which is what they did with the thirty-minute episode. They went, if we stop here, one, we don't have to pad out the episode. Mm. Two, we give the audience a break, but at the same time, it's a cliffhanger, so it really raises their interest. So they'll probably carry on. I mean, think about it. It's thirty minutes, and they stop there. 
So you're really wanting to see the next one? I went to bed. Yeah, and the next one's only 40 minutes? <laughs> it's like, basically, there were seven episodes and they cut one in half. Yeah. But by cutting it in half, what they did is they let you take the break if you want it. Yeah. Do you see what I'm saying? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's just like, that's so emo- that's so sensitive to the audience. It's just really nice. It's just like, because w- why else would they cut it 30 minutes? They know. They cut it on a cliffhanger. They deliberately cut it at that point to say, we can give the people a break, and at the same time, they'll really want to see it. It'd be a really cool cliffhanger. Right? Mm. That's clearly what they did. It's like, let's cut there. That'd be really cool. So they did it. And the, the, when they say, they you know, when they thought, they must have thought to themselves, this is a cool place to stop. What does that mean? Well, that means they are somehow recognizing this is a moment where it feels right to stop here, even though it's only been 30 minutes. Mm. So that's what they did. And so that emotional sensitivity carried on into the story. And the story, I mean, this is written by the main actress, uh, Britt yeah. Marling, yeah. her name is. And uh, I think the series director, producer, uh, I forget his name because his name is Batman Yilik. <laughs> it's Batman, G-L-I-K. Like one word. Oh, right. I see. It's, so, it's, like, so like I heard her say it's like Batman Yilik. And it's like, no, it's Batman. That's his name, right? And it's totally thrown me off. I can't remember his real name, how you pronounce it, because it's it. Because the thing is, the problem was the show, the way the credits show up is they're white kind of letters on a white background it's kind of faded out and the batman is in the center of the screen and the rest of his name is kind of opaque on the sides and you can't see it so it just keeps looking like a christopher nolan batman film it's like it's like batman begins batman batman so it messed me up this is not the most offensive you've been about a showrunner that's that's not even meant to be offensive. It's just it's just like uh, no. It's if it's 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 it's, bat, it's me. It's my it's my problem. It's more about you. This is my problem. Okay, it's nothing to do with him. It's my problem that it says Batman and I okay. can't get past it. Emotional sense. I'm the guy who said I really liked your show, but it would be better if it was the X Files. Right? So I think right. So this is not me. I'm not criticizing. That ship has sailed. Yeah, I'm not criticizing the OA. I'm saying I am probably a mistake <laughs> so don't worry okay that's just how it is so um, but the, the two of them the way they, they did this show the, it's so clear she's she acts okay she's she's done acting before she's co-written it <laughs> Right. She's like, she's like she, I, I, I know. She's done acting before. I couldn't. I couldn't I'm still okay. <laughs> she's she's an accomplished actor. He is clearly an accomplished director. They sat down and there's and the the, the way they do the dance moves in it, it and the way it's all trapped in one. It feels feels very much like a play, in a lot of ways. It feels like it's been uh, rehearsed in a in a set a lot. Yeah. Okay, do you know what I mean? Yeah, 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 absolutely. So it's very, very emotionally sensitive. That it's the way it's done, and I'm just like, this feels very just sweet. <laughs> it's just sweet that they did it this way. And the two so they're they're very emotionally sensitive people, it seems to me, the way this has come out, right? Yeah. And so that breathing structure plays into the whole show because the show you you actually really care about all the characters. Even Jason Isaac's character, Hap, who is the one who, who kidnaps them. Essentially the villain. He's the villain. He's a monster. He's horrible. The main character, the OA, hates him. We, as the audience, do not hate him. 
We don't like him. We don't excuse his behavior. We think he's wrong. We think he's evil. We think these things. But we just don't hate him. We just don't hate him. Right? We actually quite... We quite like him in his own way. You know what I mean? We're capable of judging him without hating him. And Jason Isaacs plays him beautifully. And they've clearly written and directed the character with a great sensitivity. He's sincere. He's dignified. He's capable of kindness. He's wonderfully dimensionalized. But he doesn't draw empathy. That's the thing. He doesn't draw... You don't empathize. You don't sit there and go, yeah, I get it. You go, you are twisted and sick, but you're not a monster in the way... I can't hate you. I just can't hate you. You don't get angry with him in the same way. You just don't. I, 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 it's funny that um, uh, effectively the audience, <laughs> the audience experience Stockholm Syndrome. You do. On behalf of the characters. And what's funny is the characters know. in the show don't experience Stockholm No, this Syndrome. is what I mean. That's what's not. the weird thing. Yeah. If they experience it and you feel like, oh, I get it. But so you don't. They, don't. they don't have Stockholm. You just get him. Hmm. He, he just makes sense to you. You get why he's doing those things. You he, let's just let's just clarify know? slightly because otherwise it sounds like we're saying yeah we we love the kidnapper. No, um, we don't. <laughs> no, you don't. We do hate him. You want him to fail. Yes. You want him to get caught. Yes. You want him to to not find anything out because he's trying to find out the mysteries of what's after life. I you tell don't you want what, him to actually, find that stuff out. You don't want any of that stuff. I was going to come to the, the capture um, whether or not you want him to be caught, but I'll, I'll come to that in a second. So first of all, mm. why is it we... Um, um, why is it we don't hate him? You mentioned capable of kindness. What is it he does? Well, he lets the OA out. When he, she's, when he thinks she's blind and of no threat, he lets her out. When she makes a sandwich, he eats it, he compliments her, he says, you can make sandwiches for everyone else. Yeah. He understands that they're human beings. He doesn't enjoy torturing them. He doesn't enjoy it. He and does that's, it. That's an important and thing. And he does it when he's angry. He, he does horrible things, right? Mm. Really nasty things when he's angry. But he, does, he doesn't want to kill them. He doesn't want to hurt them. He do, that, that's not what... It, you see, villains normally what they will do in action, for example, is they will hurt people and they they don't... It doesn't matter. What really matters to them is that they um, will solve a thing and they are narcissistic. They will get the thing that they want. They will get the money that they want. They will do this. They will do that. They will get the power that they want, whatever. And it's narcissism. And it's like, I, I'm right. You're wrong. And that's all there is to it. And I will expend people to prove I'm right and to be right. Okay? Monsters in horror... <laughs> they just want to hurt things. They are horrible things, right? They just want to kill you. They want to hurt you. Jason Isaac's character has elements of this, right? He acts like this, but there's just this sense that he doesn't actually enjoy it. And it's not that I've got to prove I'm right or that this thing really matters or anything like that. It's a sense of this has to get done and I'm willing to do it um, but I don't like the fact that it has to get done. Do you know what I mean? Mm. There's there's a shade there that is a real reticence on his part. I was going to say, is it regret? Almost? It's almost regret but all, it's not really regret because that implies a conscience. It's more reticence. Sure. And at the same time, there's bits where 
he's talking to the when he discovers that they've had these experiences on the other side and she's learnt these moves that can bring people back to life when he starts to get clues that it's really happening he loses he goes he gets really excited hmm. say what, what was this well, I bet you I know what the sound was it was satin right and he, when they start finding stuff out it's like share it with me because I just want to tell people things hmm. do you know what I mean so for him it's like I know I kidnapped him but don't you understand what why I'm doing this it's for a good, it's all for other people I just don't know how else to do this. And once he's getting the experiences, he's like, I don't want to hurt you anymore. Just tell me the truth and it's done. And they were like, no, we're not telling you because you're a monster and we and you don't deserve to know. And you're like, I'm with them on that. But at the same time, uh, there's this sense of, you get the sense, you just don't hate him. <laughs> you just don't. <laughs> like, you don't hate him. He's He's horrible. He's monstrous. I mean, you think about if you were in that situation, what would you do? And you do everything that the OA and those characters do. You'd keep everything back. You'd hate him and resent him. And you'd want to defeat him and break him and ruin, give him not even one crumb of information. Right? Because mm. they're go, there for seven years. Yeah. Right? And you're like, I'm with you every step of the way. But then you also look at him and you don't go, I wish he finds out. You don't want him to find out. You just don't hate him. That's all. You just don't hate him. You you agree with the characters. You he's a monster. You just don't hate him. What about the it's bully? Done really well. The bully. I hated at first, and slowly I just realised I really care about the bully. <laughs> <laughs> just it's all all the way through. All these characters. I mean, her foster parents as well. Right. They're just everyone in this story. You just is a beautiful character. It's in fact, it, it, they're ugly characters in a lot of way, and yet it, the ugliness is still beautiful. They're just aesthetically pleasing. How so? Well, it's an aesthetic. You know, when someone paints something that's ugly, the painting is still beautiful. Because it's an aesthetic ugliness. It's not genuine. <laughs> so, for example, <coughs> in Game of Thrones, I hate Joffrey. Everyone hates Joffrey. It's not an aesthetic hatred. You actually hate Joffrey. Because he's an annoying character and frustrating and everything, right? Mm. In uh, the OA, it's an aesthetic repulsion that you have for Hap. It's not a genuine one. It's aesthetic. It's crafted by people who know what they're doing. And so it's it's a joy to not like him. Oh, right. Sorry. Do you see what I'm saying? So the, the, the hatred has been crafted by the writer, not because you just find them annoying. Right, exactly. Okay. And so it's it's a genuine joy so the hatred to watch the, this character. So the hatred of the bully when he, sh when he shows up. Uh, at the beginning yeah the, the that stuff was not created by the that was me I just I didn't like this character and then after no, you're all not, you're, when you first meet him you're not meant to like him you're not meant to like him You know, I don't think you're meant to be that. maybe you're meant to be that repulsed by him I certainly was but then they they just slowly won me over and I was like I don't know how you did that mm. but and I think the way they did it same with Jason Isaac's character is they just said to the actor play him sincere and play him with dignity Mm. The, it, it's so obvious that the Brit Marling Brit Marling plays the OA but there's Brit Marling the series writer and she knows along with her co-writer how to get performances out of their cast and they're giving nuances that aren't in the characters the OA for example is not that nice a person when you look at how she treats her foster parents she treats them really badly yeah. Yeah. 
She doesn't tell them what happened to her. She doesn't care if they find out what happens to what happened to her. She doesn't trust them with these things. She holds it all in front of them. She won't share it with them. She's resentful of them for some reason. And all they've done is love her. They sacrificed everything for her. And she still doesn't respect them. She doesn't treat them like her parents. She treats them as just people who, you know? Mm. She's actually really not that nice to them when you think about it. She's very selfish around them. But? But that's the character. That's okay. People are like that. And you love the, her parents. And so it's it, the thing is, it's not sentimental and didactic emotionally. There's lots of nuance here and there. That's a really important distinction. Yeah, too. it's all the performances are nuanced. All the characters dimension are dimensionalized in a nuance. They have a nuance to all these characters. And so, so they all work like that. And Hap, you see, it's not an action story. So Hap doesn't need to be the villain in the same way. It's not a horror story. He doesn't need to be the monster. It has elements of horror and action and crime, but he's not. it's not necessarily about those things. So when they play with him a bit, it's okay because we're focusing on another aspect of the character and it, that resonates with the rest of the story. Yeah. Because the story, it's hard to break down as we're well, watching it. I was going to say, this is a perfect moment to get uh, to, to talk about genre because... Yeah. Um, I wrote down something I wanted to come back to, which yeah. is now is is as good a time as any. Yeah. So when you think about the genre, the genre of the show in yeah. general, there are elements of crime. Yeah. There are elements of action. There's elements of horror. Yeah. On the crime, particularly, we've yeah. talked a lot in crime in in the podcast. And when you have a crime, uh. um, you need the um, I'm thinking the Gone Girl episode, mm. the exposure of the criminal. Yes. Right is a key scene. Yes. So in this. You have this big crime that's taking place. He's kidnapped all these people. Hap's never exposed. Yes, he is. When? When the uh, policeman. He's not arrested. He gets away with it. That's not That's not what the event means. It says he's exposed, not arrested. I feel like I've learned nothing. It's, 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 he has <laughs> to be exposed. He doesn't have to be apprehended. Ah, okay. He doesn't have to have any of that. He has to be exposed. In the story world, the story world of the OA is tiny. It is those characters and the thing and the policeman. And he's fully exposed. See, my, my he doesn't need he doesn't need to get caught by the police anymore. He's fully exposed. It's done. Once that and that's the cliffhanger of the thirty minute episode is the guy comes in and puts the gun to his head because he and he says like, "Hey, you're under arrest." Because he sees on the screen. Oh, sorry, I'd you know I'd actually forgotten yeah. about that. So scene. that and yeah, he gets out of it because yeah, he's yeah. happy and he's really really smart. Um, and he's and he's really ruthless and it he pulls out of it. But um, you know it. Hap, um, Hap does get exposed. He it's does. Done. You're right. Yeah. I'd forgot. I'd forgotten about but, him putting the but, gun to. But the reason it's not a big deal for you is because that's not what the show's about. No, that's the point I was going to make. Yeah. though. it's not. I. I don't feel like him not getting caught is because no. he's been exposed. You just don't care as no. much about him being caught because right. it's not a crime story. Right. But it's there not are elements, and it, it, there are elements of it. There's elements of action and horror. There's but uh, there's elements of body salvation. Because she saves the people and they save her. Mm-hmm. Um, there's all these things, but it, it's just it, the thing it, because these characters are all these genres are sort of merged together and blended with a little bit of nuance. Characters like Hap don't have to fill certain roles in the way that they would normally. And so as a result, they're allowed to do things like give him a much more nuanced performance. If this was a full-on 
horror or crime story, like misery, yeah. and you tried to do this performance of Hap in that, you would get wound up. You would get really annoyed because it would keep getting in the way of you being intrigued. Yeah. Right? It would just get annoying. Okay? But because this show isn't about that, it's okay. And what we, we were talking about this, it's hard to tell because you've only seen one season and it's not finished and we don't know where it's going, but based purely on the first season, what this show essentially is, is a wisdom narrative. Right? And a wisdom narrative is a story which is about faith, basically. Right? Mm. Meaning in that sense. But the emotion of the wisdom narrative is yearning. It's yearning for this knowledge of what's after life. Emotion as in the audience. The audience's emotion is a sense of real yearning to to know what lies beyond, to know if that faith is well put and so on. And it's typically the kind of story that you, that's very religious. Yeah. Okay. And the OA, by the way, the OA does religion in a way I haven't seen done in a long time because it's done sincerely. There's elements of the haka. You know what the haka is? I do. It's the Maori thing, the dance. Oh, sorry. Like that. That dance is very haka. Yeah. Right. It's a very haka type thing. Uh, In fact, at the end of the show, when they do the dance in the cafeteria to stop the gunman, it's like a haka. It's exactly like a haka, right? Because that's where you see the five of them do it together, and they're like that, and they make it. It's like this looks like a haka, but the theology behind it, the underlying world of what's going on is very, very Islamic. And since Batman Yalik is Turkish, I'm guessing that's where it's coming from. Mm. Because uh, in Islam, um, you're taught that before you come to earth, the angels show you your life and you chose this. Right? Right. So the whole concept is this is a test, but we've we've forgotten that we took it. Mm. So it's a genuine test, right? Like in the same way that if you take a test from an exam, I guess... You know, you don't go in with the answers, right? You have to remember the answers and everything, right? So you do it on your own, Mm. right? So it's like, okay, you're coming in, but we made the choice to come in. Now, if you remember in the OA, first of all, the angel is Arabic. Yeah. Right? She's she's an Arab woman, which... When was the last time you saw that? Right? She speaks Arabic. She doesn't speak English. And she says, I can send you back if you want, but it will be really tough. Mm. I don't want to send you back. It's your choice. And then she says, yeah, I want to come back. And I'm like, that's straight out of Islamic theology. That's, that, that's, that's, what, that's what that is, right? Mm. And then also the concept of the unseen is a very big part of Islamic theology. The idea being that you have faith in what you can't see, right? So things happen and there's an underlying order of things you can't see. So at the end of the story, when they do the dance... And the OA, the whole point is that you do the dance, it opens up a portal, you step through the portal, you end up in the afterlife, or you end up in another dimension, right? That's the point of the dance. So when they do the dance, right, she says, but the portal's invisible, you can't see it. Mm. So how does it work? Well, she gets shot. So that's how it's invisible, the portal. The portal for everyone else doesn't look like a portal. If you don't see it, you know, if you can't, if you're not in your mindset, you won't see it. It's just not there for you. Mm. But for the people who can see or who have the faith, they can see that's how the portal looks. You see what I'm saying? Mm. And that's very much how it's how Islamic theology looks at the world. There's the unseen that's happening. 
You know, when people say, where's the evidence for this? It's like the evidence is everywhere, but the standard of what you consider evidence is deficient, right? So that's why you can't see the things. You see what I'm saying? Yeah. So in the OA, you know, that is the portal. That's it. That's the, it's, it's invisible because it, ca- it goes it goes on the rides on the back of the bullet. That's why it's invisible. Do you see what I'm saying? Yeah. Isn't that great? I love that. It's just like ha, ha, that's how near near death experiences are a portal. You don't see them because they don't look like one because you can't see what's really going on. You see what I'm saying? Do you like the idea I love that that, um, that this <laughs> it's still left open enough that yeah. she could just be crazy? Yeah. Absolutely. That's absolutely right. I thought that's just great. Like, because for us, we buy these characters. It's a story. We can believe what we want. And it just, yeah. Because cool. coming back to the value, um, we had a discussion yes. and just, uh, I know Bass already um, did mention it, but I just want to put the caveat out there. Um, not every story can be unpacked very neatly. No. And this one especially, because there are all these different elements, we sat down to kind of, unpack it and realize there were a lot of questions still out there yeah and because you don't know where the show's going we don't know where it's going and but, uh, but the fundamental thing for me was what's the mo- what the climax of this story yeah is the dance yeah. and when the dance happens no joke your heart just jumps up into your throat as they stand up to do the dance because you see them looking at each other and you don't know what they're going to do they get up and you think are they going to rush the shooter they don't rush the shooter they stand and do the dance and this is just when they have been told that she made everything up yeah and yet they still stand up and they still do the dance which means at that moment all five of them went at their greatest moment of desperation when they didn't believe her anymore they looked at each other saw they were all in the place together and they went we have to do it Hmm. and they did it and remember what she says the dance only works if you do it with full feeling in other words sincerity so they have to believe it and so their emotional state as they're doing the dance is why your emotions jump up. Yeah. It's not because of what they're doing. It's not the dance. No. Right? The dance is just an affectation. It's not that. It's essentially a giant it's prayer. Their, it's right? their faith. Yeah. It's the feelings that they have of it, what you would call the leap of faith, which is you trust. Trust is even a better word than faith. You know, you trust, you have faith. When you say you have a faith in a person, you mean you have trust in them, hmm. right? That based on what they've done so far, based on this, like, I trust you that if I do this, you will back me up or whatever, right? So they stand up and they just trust that it's there, that this is real and they do it and it works. And at first it looks like it hasn't worked. Hmm. And then it seems to actually, maybe it has worked, right? And we're left wondering, I think it worked, right? <laughs> we're not too sure, whatever. But it worked, it's- but, it. It, it works for both of them. She's yeah. She's now gone to meet Homer, whether that's in heaven or whatever. Like we we so, don't know. The, so the portal is was, it on Saturn, right? That was <laughs> right? the thing. Like we don't know. So the portal works for her, but the portal also works for them because you think they're now in a parallel dimension where the shooter hasn't killed everybody. Yeah. Had they not done it, everybody yeah. would be dead so, right now. So the thing is, like, you know, I'm talking about, uh, it seems there's elements of Maori religion, there's elements of Islamic religion. They might have done a bit of research on spirituality and things or whatever. I don't know. <laughs> I would say a lot of research. I don't know. Maybe they didn't. Maybe they just made this all up in a room. Who knows? But what they're touching on is what's more important is this emotional sensitivity that they touch on so that the ending of the show is very, very emotional. And what you're feeling is not excitement it's not intrigue it's not those aren't the height of those emotions what you're really feeling is this sense of yearning 
that desperate sense of please be true. Yeah. Right? They've put their lives on the line and it's not excitement. Because excitement is there's a lot more fun to it. This is not fun. This this is just it has to be true. And it's it was it's a it's very hard to sometimes describe this stuff to articulate it. This is why I mean I would think these writers they just they feel it and they just put it out. Well, this there. is the point. They won't try to name it. No. But the reason to try and essentially taxonomy the purpose of naming things is to try to be able to discuss them with everyone else, right? Yeah. They don't need to. They wrote the show. Yeah. <laughs> we are trying to talk about it, to learn about it, and to understand it, and so on. But. So we're trying to name these things, you know, and to give, and as I say, always to try and generate a sense of shared terminology so it's easier to talk about things and learn. Because as I say, other artists in other fields, they can talk about their their craft quite easily and everyone knows what they're talking about. Everyone knows what a bridge is in music or a riff, okay? In story, ask 10 writers what an act is and you get 10 different answers. Hmm. So what's the point? No one can learn anything, right? So I'm trying to name it. And that emotional sense at the end of the eye is a sense of yearning. And that is not an education story. That is not action. That's not testing plots. That's not body salvation. It's not uh, horror or crime. Um, Even though all of those genres have major parts to play in this story. This is fundamentally a different genre. And the only genre I can think of that's close to that is the kind of religious story about someone who, who at the end, the the core event of that, I guess, would be the prayer. You know, that moment of just praying to God. You know, just like let some, like just uh, not praying almost. I see. I I I I don't want. I don't want to get too into it. But it's, I guess. It, I guess. What it's you just, don't want to do is put out the wrong answer, right? No, I I don't want to put out like I don't want to specify it in one religious term. But I, oh, I, I, but I, I just keep coming back to it, which is, you know, the word Muslim means submit. It's that submission at the end. It's just like you submit, you see, and you get it in Christianity and you get it in Judaism. They submit. Yeah. You know, that's why the word Muslim exists. It's, it's, not, it's not a specific Islamic word, even though now it's very, you know, it's got connotations that people aren't happy with in our political world. But anyway the point ah, screw it I'm right it's submission right <laughs> so they submit so it's just this fine, this moment of I'm relinquishing my authority and hoping that the thing is true and yeah. I'm hoping that the the buttress is there right so it's that sense of submission at the end you know when they stand up they're submitting to it you get it isn't it the trust that you mentioned earlier that's what I'm saying yeah, yeah. That, that's what it is right it's that moment so prayer just doesn't have the right word I don't think anymore. no prayer isn't the right word no it's that act of submission so they do that at the end there's this great sense of yearning there's this great sense of meaning everything's on the line that feels to me to be the center center of the OA and it's rare you get to see that done without it being propagandistic hmm yeah, really rare. Well, I'm I'm assuming it doesn't feel propagandistic because um, although there are elements of, uh, as you said, and I hadn't spotted them, yeah. I hadn't even spotted that she spoke Arabic. To be honest with you, <laughs> like that completely passed me by, um, uh, as most things do. <laughs> but because you had, in the same way that they've got elements of all these other genres, the the 
religion's the wrong word for it, but the, the spirituality in the show yes. has different elements of things. So it doesn't it doesn't feel centered on one no. religion. It doesn't feel like they're talking about Islam or no. Christianity. You or see, anything. the thing is, it, because the OA isn't a religion. It's, okay, it's yeah, not a religion, true, right? True. So, oh, well, that's why yeah. I think. So, like, for example, yeah. historians tell stories, right? Yeah, they tell a war story, right? Yeah. Uh, I'm a historian. I shall tell you a story. What's the genre? It's a war story, <laughs> but you're a historian. You're telling it in a completely different sense. It's not art. Yeah. So when religious stories are told, they're told in a theological framework. They're not meant to be art in that way. Mm. They're stories, but they're not art, right? They're not aesthetic. The OA is just a fiction. It's just art. It's not meant to be theology. It's not history. It's not philosophy. It's none of those things. It's art. Yeah. Right? That's what it is. So it's different. What people do a lot of the time is they'll take the theological stories and they'll try to turn it into an artistic thing. And that's when it feels propagandistic. Yeah. Do you see what I'm saying? Yeah, yeah. Like, you watch something like the Russell Crowe Noah film or the Mel Gibson Passion film. It's like, this feels wrong. Why? It's it's exactly the same sensation you get when someone does a biopic about a real person and they sensationalize it to make it cool. Do you know what I mean? Hmm. And it's like, this isn't a documentary. This isn't history. You know how hard it is to get a good biopic done? Yeah. It's the same feeling. So you're taking something that isn't... It's almost like you're debasing it. You're debasing history. You're debasing theology when you do it that way. You see what I'm saying? The OA sidesteps all that because it's fictionalized. It's got, it's not, it's none of these things. It's it's just, well, that, draw, you know what I mean? That, yeah. That's why. In I'm, the same way, like a war story isn't, uh, could draw from World War One and World War Two, but it isn't World War One. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? So, I, yeah, completely. I, agree. I, I, I do agree. And yeah. it's, it's, fiction's the right word because although yeah. it has elements of other religions, it's clearly researched in, in, in yeah. you know, whatever capacity. This is a way, in the same way where you would write a science fiction story, yeah. um, uh, you know, set in the future, you would research and yeah. you would create this world. Yeah. The OA has a world that has been built that it fictionalizes. Right. You see, because a lot of, I think, a lot of these sort of discussions when they have them, they they try to elevate art and go like, yeah, it's like a theological thing. I'm like, no, guys, it really isn't. This isn't. It's not to try and get them to like compare them is unfair because mm. they're completely different environments. And I'm just I'm not I'm not one of those people that goes like I remember with I love Groundhog Day but people go yeah it's a lot like this and there's, there's nothing about those things it's just it's adorable but it's not those things you I I get really weary when people take their theological foundations from things like the OA or Groundhog Day because <laughs> they're not theology do you know what I mean yeah it's the same thing thing of people who go I've learned all my history from watching Downton Abbey it's not history. Do you know, watch yeah. a documentary. Don't just see my confusion there. So yeah. I'm like, I don't. I'm not trying to elevate the OA by suggesting this stuff. I'm more sort of pointing out where I think their inspirations come from, and sort of just explain like there's a very emotional sensitivity to back up this claim that there's this genre about this because the whole show, what makes the show so wonderful, is you know I was saying I've t- I, t- I mentioned this before the mic I think, but. You watch a show like Westworld, it's very intellectually rewarding. Yeah. It rewards you paying attention intellectually. The OA rewards you emotionally. It doesn't reward you with great big answers and this or that. It rewards you by a certain sensation, Mm. certain feeling, which is that bit when they do the dance. You just have this incredible swell of emotion. And what's so satisfying and why we're talking about why we like it is that feeling of they rewarded us emotionally with a really wonderful show. And 
and I can't think of the last time a science fiction show in particular even tried I, to reward you emotionally. I was going to say something a little similar. Um, I Just you talking again, mm. rounding up that, that climax. A climax to a show or film hasn't done that to me before, I think, possibly ever. Yeah, it's. I've just not felt that emotion. That oh, that particular emotion, particularly Uh, that emotion, but like just that. Yeah, I guess that that's the best way to put it. I've not felt that like oh my god, I just hope that they're right. Right. Yeah. I I mean, close to that. That satisfaction. It is close to that. It's Shawshank. (laughs) Right. (laughs) Okay. Yeah. Yeah. You just close. Please, please be it's a Huatanejo. (laughs) <laughs> please be there please make it do you know what I mean there is yeah. that sense that that sense of that but it's not the same no because it's not really about that Let's... but but, do you, but but the thing is it's but yeah that, that sort of emotional particularly in science fiction is very rare plus this genre is almost never used because people sort of snub snub the genre because of its religious connotations because people fundamentally don't respect theology I don't know whether I, uh, you you mean people that aren't religious don't respect theology. Or I think you mean religious everybody? people also don't respect theology. <laughs> you think? Absolutely. It, it's got nothing to do with your worldview or even what your religion is. People don't respect it because they they. It, it's the same way people don't respect, say, science or history or philosophy. There's loads of things people don't respect because they they just don't have a passion for it but our society particularly at the moment is very very derogatory of theology mm. like we just don't consider it a real subject of of knowledge we just don't think of it that way when it's just like and to be fair i can't really blame you if because why well because it, you know in most like secular countries christianity is the default religion and the majority of the teaching is sunday school and once you get to sunday school it's like there's no level beyond it mm. so that's not even really the religion you know what i mean yeah so theology is very snubbed it's science fiction which is typically very anti-theological as it is anyway Mm. and all this kind of stuff and so for the oa to not only be science fiction but to reward you emotionally and to be sincere and just sort of sensitive with these kind of subjects and then so sensitive that it can break up the episode lengths to most reward your emotional investment and then build you up so that you can have this wonderful release of emotion at the end. I mean, it's just beautiful to see someone do that. It was just so kind. <laughs> do you know what I mean? It was just so sweet of them. It's just like, thank you for letting me feel again. You remember feelings? You know? <laughs> it's just, thank you for that. It's just really nice. Um, let's let's look at wrapping this up then. Yeah. Um, we... You mentioned temporal genres yeah. um, uh, with regards to the episode length. Oh, oh by the way, another thing that may, you can see what I mean by that. Like, you noticed how diverse the cast was? They have an Arab woman as an angel. They have a trans kid. Sure. Right? I, you, know, I, I just, you did notice, right? You didn't notice didn't because notice. it didn't matter. Right. <laughs> they just did it. They're all people, right? <laughs> but it's just like, that's kind of it. It's just, it was such... I don't know. I really would hate the idea if it turned out that Brit Marlin and Batman turned out to be nasty people in life. <laughs> I hope that they're genuinely nice people. I'd be really disappointed if they weren't nice people. Um, particularly since I'm pretty sure I'll marry her one day. But <laughs> You know, before you said that, I was going to quote that on the Twitter and yeah. at both of them. And now I will not because it's going right. to seem a little bit stalkery. <laughs> 
oh, there's another little bit story about it. Um, no, it's but they it just there was just some some sort of sense of just. You know, I really hope season two is good. <laughs> I really do. I hope they can put, carry on because this was really lovely. It's just re- it was a. I think part of why I liked it so much is because it was so. It not only was it done well and so satisfying and rewarding, but it just it just stood up and went. We're not going to play the same game everyone else is playing. Right, it just yeah. it's a it's a it's something we don't get. For me, I just I I you almost, I love education stories. They're one of my favorite genres. Mm-hmm. It's so rare to see a wisdom story done properly. It's so rare. People don't even want to try, but when they do, you know, and it's like this. It's like wow, that's really great. Mm. So it's just it's I mean it's almost for me it's just like oh it's a new color. <laughs> do you know what I mean? It's yeah. just I got a new color. Thanks. <laughs> So let's wrap this up. Have you got um? Let sum up then um what we need to take away or what's worth thinking about with the temporal genres or in stories. Oh, so what what to take from the OA is this real sense of just a lot of the time writers will pay attention to what the audience is thinking and how they're following the story, and the OA is one where it took a lot of time to pay attention to what is the audience feeling. And as then, opposed to what they're thinking yeah they're and feeling. it's just what are you feeling do you need a break now do you not need a break now do you like this person or do you hate this person do you want to see more of this person or see less of this person and they just sort of played that sensitivity all the way so that at the end they go and now we're going to make your hearts jump into your throat here's the climax yeah yeah that's what I would t- so, so it's just another way of looking at it just pay attention to the emotions of people it's it, do you think there's anything to add particularly on on um, empathy and emotional sensitivity as a writer? No, I, I don't think so. I think it's just, they just, you just, you just pay attention to it, I guess. Just pay attention. Just have feelings. What's, <laughs> what's the lesson to take away? Pay attention. Just pay attention to people. It's really nice to see, it's really, it's really nice to just see like someone just kind of be nice to you. I mean, <laughs> For once. I, think it's I say be nice to you when like the show is about someone being tortured for seven years be nice to people torture 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 yeah that was nice <laughs> i think uh, you could you called the show beautiful yeah i think so and nice and kind yeah i think it's wonderful we finally found something that's brought this side of you <laughs> it's made you feel again the rage it's <laughs> taken so many episodes <laughs> to finally get there but to hear you you unzipped me <laughs> You unzip me, Doc. You unzip me. I don't like to think about it. I want to talk about it. To hear you talk so sensitively about the show, (laughs) I just don't feel we should skirt past that without, you know. It was nice. It was nice. What's the show done to you? It's just, I I was... was You've changed, man. It was really pleasant to watch. It was just, I mean, I was watching and at first it was annoying me. You know, at first I'm like, oh, this is this guy. I don't like the bully, and I'm just carrying on watch because everyone tells me it's good. I'm like, let's keep watching. I'm like, oh, this is just tender and sweet, and like the OA, she's crazy, but at the same time she's kind of right and okay, and and then they just and then they do that bit at the end, and I'm just like, oh, that was lovely. Like it was just, it was emotionally rewarding. I invested in the story emotionally, then they paid back my emotion tenfold. I'm like, thank you for that, as opposed to other shows where it's like hey pay attention to this and we haven't really bothered working anything out see you later to be continued what 
you know, or watching like the, bo- uh, the boring Iron Fist and all that stuff. So just like this is so boring. This is so frustrating. It's like you're writing this and you're forcing me to watch it. Why are you doing that to me? Like I, I don't. I, why are you being mean to me? And this one, no, no. We're going to take you on a horrible journey. We're going to make all these people have hellish, horrible lives. You're, Jason Isaacs is terrifying, and you're, he's just going to do all these horrible things. Like whoa, and like yeah, but don't worry because you know. Thank you for watching. <laughs> we really appreciate it. So, here's your ending. Thanks. Thanks for making me watch it. That was nice. For a split second there, we got the old bass back. Nah. <laughs> it's just nice. We'll find a trigger word for next episode.